0: Welcome to High Motor by BetMGM, the Thursday, June 10th episode of High Motor by BetMGM. And we're rolling along with NFL previews. It's going to be NFC North uh, today, and then it's going to be the NFC West on Monday. So we'll wrap all the NFC previews, probably divert to a different topic or two, either within college football or the NFL. Come back for AFC previews. We also have P5 previews, G5 previews. Uh, We weren't really sure when the best time was to do NFC North. We talked about that a little bit offline. But it doesn't seem like any Rodgers news is coming anytime soon. We're recording this actually on Tuesday. Not expected at mandatory minicamp this week. It feels like we're a ways away from anything official on that. So it doesn't really make sense to wait for an NFC North preview. So we'll do NFC North today. But as we did with the French Open last week, we have a non-football diversion and quite frankly, the bar is is pretty high for our Euro 2020 guest, Alex Lang, a man of many talents, soccer expert among them. The bar is high because on our French Open episode, Chase, you hyped your, your Polish friend. So let's start with that. I'm, I'm going to try to keep you on the rails here, Alex. If I let you go, you're going to lose control very quickly because you're going to take this conversation everywhere. Give us your, your best position before things start I think they start on Friday. Not even necessarily a betting take for Euro 2020. It can be if you want, but like, what's your most confident opinion entering this tournament on Friday?
1: Okay, well, um, I mean, I think France, and by the way, let me just say thanks for having me on, guys, and thanks for the uh, the, the, the big welcome. I don't think I can live up to uh, some of the previous guests on here, but I'll do my best. So look, this is going to be a, an unusual tournament in the era of COVID, right? So um, it's initially it was designed to be spread across a number of different countries and Um, obviously that and obviously got pushed back from last summer to this due to the pandemic and because of that it's now going to be just in a handful of countries and a large number of the games are actually going to be played in england which is obviously where i'm from um what yeah i don't know if you can tell but but yeah i'm from uh, from england so um but but i think going into it there's really only one standout team and if you're looking to Place a bet on you know the the future and, and the winner of the tournament. I think France, and that'll be that'll be great news, music to the ears of all American listeners to this show. I'm sure you guys absolutely love the fact that the French are brilliant. Um, but yeah, the, I think the French squad is is the best squad. They've got the best um, overall player, and um, they're obviously the reigning World Cup winners. So at plus five hundred, I think they're actually kind of value when you compare it to the teams that are around them, England plus 550. Belgium are hovering around plus 550, plus 600. So if you're looking to bet um, tournament winner at the outset and follow a team all the way through, France would probably be um, the best bet.
0: Chase, I'm actually curious your take on that because we were just talking yesterday about betting French Open favorites and futures, and that's something that you don't normally do. I know you're not dialed into Euro 2020, but like very quickly here before we move on, like your strategy for usually not taking favorites in futures What is that based on? You just don't like the return of that, right?
2: Well, I I think, yeah, I I think so often, unless you have like an overwhelming everybody knows what's going to happen type of thing, I think your risk reward uh, can get a little dicey when you're betting on favorites. I want to go back to another comment, which was, the France thing is that the scouting report on the Americans. We don't like the French soccer team. Is that what's going on over there?
1: I, I don't know. I just I feel like the French and the Americans in in just in in a friendly way kind of have a little bit of a you know gentle animosity towards one another (laughs) things around you know oh the french are waving the right white flag again i always used to hear that sort of stuff i feel like you're
0: holding something back because i personally don't have any animosity towards the french and i think we had like a strong
2: 14 months maybe like 15 years ago where we we got a little salty about the french fry thing but i think we we moved on from there i think we're good
1: I mean, look, the French, the French don't like many people, let's be real, but <laughs> they don't love British tourists. But I think American tourists probably, you know, take the biscuit there. When, when I, when I lived out stateside for a few years, I, people used to dislike the French, especially when we, uh, when it came to a, a big tournament. So I don't know, maybe that was just the, uh, maybe I was just friends with a particularly mean spirited set of people.
2: I, <laughs> I'm wondering what, you know, I, I agree with you that I, I think France is like it, maybe not necessarily in a, in a betting ROI. Standpoint, but just like if you told me, hey, who do you think is going to win? You got to pick a team, I would pick France too. So I I don't, I I think I agree with that. I think what I'm most curious in is when you look at at the actual group F that France needs to come out of with Germany and Hungary and Portugal there. I mean, that is like we talk in the World Cup about a group of death. That's probably the best group, I would think, when you're looking at who's in that group relative to everybody else. Who do you see not coming out of that group? Because Germany, Hungary, Portugal. If, if you think France is going to get out of it, which I do, I mean, somebody's somebody's going to get hung out to dry there.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think this is a strange... I mean, it's a strange time in soccer in general. Like, all of the traditional, big, powerful clubs in Europe I think are on a, a slight decline. You've got, you know... The, you saw with the Champions League final the last few years, you've had, you know, Chelsea were there this year. And I don't think they're one of the top teams of in the history of, of football, which, you know, you used to get with these Barcelona sides and Real Madrid and everything. And I think it's kind of the same in international football. So some of the big powers like Germany and Italy in particular, I think, are um a little bit on the wane and they're and kind of rebuilding so if i had to pick and like, this is going to come back and bite me because i'll probably go on and win the whole thing but if i had to pick one of those three so portugal france and germany to not make it out i'd probably just lean towards germany um i think france has got too much talent and that group's been together you know quite a long time they've got tons of experience and um, portugal i think probably just has a little bit too much in terms of depth of quality there's tons of good players from premier league and uh and, and la liga um spanish league as well there so i'd probably just say germany just but um never bet against the germans that's uh, that's something that the english people have uh, have learned over the years Yeah, and Hungary, thanks for coming. I mean, geez. Well, Hungary have got no chance. Uh,
0: Earlier this week, you kind of hinted at at something that you were going to pick. And that was a good segue to it. Moving over to Group D, uh, Croatia, Czech Republic, England, and I believe Scotland's also in that one. You hinted at picking England not to come out of Group D. And I think the odds were, I don't have them pulled up, plus 1,500 to lose in that group round. Why are you picking that? Who are you going to piss off with this comment?
1: Well, yeah, I was just joking with you before we came on air, but um, I don't know how many people in Britain listen to this podcast, but uh, but any anyone who is listening will probably be upset. But I think that plus 1,500, so that's 14 to 1 for anyone in uh, in old money, for England to not get it out of the group stage. I mean, they've got history of this. Um, they've got a ton of injuries. They've brought a ton of injured players to the tournament, which they seem to do every year. I don't know if it's because the Premier League is... You know, so competitive, and also because the weather is obviously a little colder and a little wetter here than it is in places like Spain, that we tend to come in with a lot more injuries than a lot of other countries. And look, the games are all at Wembley in London, which is an advantage for sure. But Scotland are better than people think. Um, Croatia knocked us out at the World Cup um, three years ago, the last tournament. And the Czech Republic are, are always a competitive team. So I wouldn't be massively surprised if England came out and And struggled and and, you know if you if you draw three games or even if you win one and lose two you could end up going out and that's kind of the that's kind of the drawback of having these such small groups of of four yeah I think you nail it there's no easy win in that group
2: like there's no patsy everybody's competitive Croatia's been just solid for a long time Scotland is better than people think what going through the the remaining groups that we haven't really touched on what's a team that you think people aren't paying enough attention to
1: well i mean if, if we're going back if we're looking at um, you know odds to win the tournament i think as i said at the beginning this is a strange year so we have teams who are already suffering um, with some some um, positive tests i think the whole spanish team is in is in quarantine right now and there are even some doubts about their first group game as to whether they'll be able to go you know to to have it go ahead on time as scheduled so um you could look to back some underdogs. And I think Croatia at plus 4,000, I think they are with BetMGM, they were yesterday, is a, a really, really good bet. Um, you know, you could make, if they make it to the final, you can potentially hedge that if they're playing against someone like France. In terms of some other long shots or semi-long shots, I think Portugal at plus 800, one last ride for Ronaldo. They've got some great players. Bruno Fernandes, um, obviously, has had a great season at Manchester United, Um Uh, And Bernardo Silva as well, one of the best players in the world at Manchester City. I think they've got a great chance. I think they're at plus 900 right now on Bet MGM.
0: So you mentioned France at the top. Uh, You you just mentioned Croatia. I think it was plus 4,000. They're actually up to plus 3,300. We haven't mentioned Belgium. Who are some of those other teams at the top where if somebody's not really feeling France or they're not feeling the betting value of that, where, you know, whether it's Belgium or somebody else, where it's a tier down or a couple of tiers down in the plus, you know, 900,000 range that. Maybe you don't love to necessarily win the tournament, but you can't deny the value where they're currently sitting.
1: In that kind of second tier there, I think um, there's a ton of big-name teams that might draw you in, you know, Italy and Spain. And I think, you know, there's there's an outside shot they could both win. But I think Spain at kind of 7-1 to are a little short. They, um, they've they not been that cohesive as a team lately. So I'd probably look at the Netherlands at plus 1,400. I think they've got some really top players. They're pretty underrated this is the country that kind of gave us the modern version of football, total football with Johan Cruyff back in the 1970s. Um, and they kind of bring that DNA with them to, to every event um, they, they play in, whether that's at youth level or at fully, fully um, adult senior men's level. So I like the Netherlands. I think Memphis Depay is one of the outstanding players in world football right now. Um, and he might be a sneaky bet for a top scorer if they end up um, progressing pretty well. I think... One other long shot bet that I like is for a group winner, um, Wales at plus nine hundred in uh, Group A. I think that's a really really solid bet. So you're getting eight to one. They're in a group with a old and a combination of old and also unproven Italy team, and they're minus two hundred. I wouldn't touch that to win that group. Switzerland again, they're pretty old and and pretty limited, and a Turkey side that. Um, you know, really hasn't done much in the lead up to this tournament. So Wales plus 900 to win Group A and um, the Netherlands as an overall shot would be two kind of really strong outside bets if you'd like those uh, kind of bigger odds.
0: Let's talk about top goal scorers since you kind of led into that. Who's going to be the top goal scorer? Let's just keep it extremely simple. When this comes, when this tournament wraps up mid-July, who's going to be atop the goals?
1: I think you look at the French squad. Um, Kylian Mbappe is probably the outstanding player in world football right now Um, and he'll be the favourite for for top goalscorer. I haven't actually got the MGM odds in front of me but he'll be the favourite. I kind of like one of his teammates though, potentially uh, Antoine Griezmann. I think he's maybe more likely to take the penalty kicks if they get a number of penalties Um, and that's also another really good bet generally speaking in these games. Bet on games to either go to penalty shootouts if it's in the knockout round and also bet on a penalty to be taken or a penalty to, to be scored um, in, in these group stage games. There's tons and tons more penalties, and I don't know that um, oddsmakers are kind of caught up to that trend yet. Um, so Griezmann would be a good one, potentially even in that squad, if you look at Paul Pogba. So he'll be fairly long odds, because um, he's obviously a midfield player, but he may take penalty kicks, he takes free kicks, um, and if they progress all the way through, you'd, you'd like to think he would have a good chance as a as a long shot pick.
2: The more goals thing, is that a VAR thing or is that just the way the game has gone, more offense?
1: So more pen- more penalty kicks, yeah. So, yes. yes, um Yeah, I mean VAR has given a number of more penalty kicks in, especially in international football for, sorry, soccer. God, I keep doing that. For um, things like handball, so back you know back before var a ball that was hit pretty hard at someone's hand generally speaking you wouldn't get a penalty for that and i think that was kind of sensible but now that we've got var and everything's in slow motion it always looks worse than it was so at the world cup a couple of years ago people were were placing bets on penalty kicks to be taken in in each game and then like accumulating them up so betting them again and staking it again people made tons of money on it so we'll go back to that well again uh, this summer
0: Last thing before we wrap it up here, we've covered a lot of ground, but I mean, still looking at betandgym.com right now, there's 88 different bets for Euro 2020, 58 events right now, 27 futures, three specials. Where else are you looking that we just haven't touched on yet? Whether that's a player prop, a match, even another tournament winner, what else has your attention?
1: If you if you don't like betting on teams to win the tournament, you can bet on who's going to make the final, and you can even um, lay those bets. And so, if you don't think that a certain team is going to make the final and they're one of the favourites, you can get fairly decent odds on them not making the final. I think France are like um, one to three, or would that be minus minus three hundred, something like that
2: three uh, three fifty. I think they're minus three fifty. Yeah. yeah.
1: So to not make the final, so that you know, if you don't necessarily like them and you think that an outsider is going to win, then that might be a nice one. Um, and then, like I said, if you pick teams to not get out of the group stage, so England to not get out of the group stage is one that I think is outrageously long odds, considering they've got injuries to a number of key players, um, and also key players in the most important areas of the pitch, so central defence and central midfield. Um, so you could take a look at some of the other group stages, all uh, other other groups, and um, see if there's similar odds available for for those.
0: Twas a pleasure, Alex. I appreciate the time, and we will chat very soon. Thanks guys, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. We're going back to the NBA.
2: Uh, a good, good little run here. Got the winner with baseball on Monday. Uh, I am looking at this Bucks Nets series. I don't know if the Bucks are going to be competitive. I'm not totally willing to sell my Bucks stock yet, but I know this: these totals are too high. Uh, the Bucks and Nets have played five times this year so far. The under is four and one. And the only game that went over, it went over by, like, four points. And that was on Martin Luther King Day. So, the trend here is going under. And the total has moved down. It moved down, I think, one and a half points from game one to game two. It moved down about four points from game two to game three. But at 234 and a half, which is where the total's at right now with BetMGM, I'm still taking the under. Because, for one thing, I feel like from a coaching approach... You can't beat the Nets by outscoring them, so I feel like the Bucks are going to try to slow the game down in Milwaukee. Uh, I feel like this is going to continue to go under. I am not expecting 150 to 140. You know that that's not what I think this game is going to turn into. So a little bit of a contrarian play, which we know is something I like, but I have a small play, like a one-two unit play
0: on the Bucks nets under on Thursday night. The NFC North, it feels like a hard division for us to talk about because like, we try hard. We sincerely try hard not to talk about what everybody else is talking about, but we can't really do that with the NFC North this year. Even though we're, what, five, six weeks removed from the Adam Schefter-Aaron Rodgers bombshell, we're not going to spend, like, 30 minutes on the Lions So we kind of have to talk about what everybody is talking about, but I think we can maybe do it in a context that is fresh and new. So I think we should probably go about it with this. With the Aaron Rodgers uncertainty, we've both said, if you believe Rodgers is coming back, which we both do, the Packers numbers are highly attractive. All of the numbers that are currently available, some are still not available. Uh, I mentioned that in the NFC South episode, like, for example, the Week 1 Packers Saints line. Packers Saints line Packers plus three and then Packers minus 140 to win the division again the win total isn't available nor are those other divisional prop bets we mentioned in past episodes so how can we use this Aaron Rodgers situation to identify value elsewhere in the division like where does that conversation start for you that's
2: a great question I want to put Detroit aside for a second and I want to look at Minnesota and Chicago I think Chicago is tough because you don't know when Justin Fields is going to play. You don't really know what that team's going to look like this year. You don't know how desperate the coaching staff is going to be in terms of like, hey, let's really throw the kitchen sink at some other teams offensively. I could see a bunch of trick plays from them this year. Like, I, I it's It's hard to figure out what they're going to look like. So for me, this division is Minnesota or pass. And looking at Minnesota, you're talking about over 9, minus 125, under 9 wins at plus 105. And pretty, basically the the reversed odds for the playoffs. It's yes, we'll make the playoffs at plus 105. No, minus 125. Uh, it, and it all comes down to, like, what what do you think this team is going to be? Uh, what do you think they're going to get from the quarterback position? Do you think that defense is, is going to revert to some of the better squads that we've seen maybe two or three years ago? For me, them getting to 10 wins, I don't think it's impossible. Um, but they, I think they would need to be, they would need to have luck on their side, which they maybe haven't the last couple of years. That would be maybe where I look to attack, and depending on you how you feel about the schedule, maybe you put a small amount on the under. But this this just, I don't have, I don't think I have a good feel for this division. I don't like a lot of these numbers. I feel like I've had a lot of opinions on the first two divisions we've done, and this one, I'm kind of sitting on my hands. How do you feel about it? You know this division way better than me.
0: Well, that's why I asked you the question, because even though like the overwhelming storyline Obviously in the North in the NFL is Aaron Rodgers. And as I was going through and getting my notes, I didn't feel like I was thinking about Rodgers that much. That's why I wanted to ask you that to see if you were kind of on the same page with me. I mean, even going back to your Bears comment, hard pass for me on all Bears. Totally agree with you. Even if we had more of those divisional prop bets like we've talked about for the South and the East, I don't think I would touch any of those. I mean, we talked about that. I think it was right after the draft how we don't know, kind of like what you mentioned, we don't know if Matt Nagy is going to try to rush Justin Fields. Justin Fields out there to show, hey, I can actually you know, coach and groom a good quarterback, or is he going to try to keep him on the bench for some job security, build him up off the field, and then try to make the case to, to ownership management that I should be around for Justin Fields? We don't know how any of that's going to work out, and that has nothing to do with Aaron Rodgers. Therefore, I have a really hard time doing anything if you think that the bears are just going to be as good as they were last year and if they improved over the offseason fine like you can make that on the field argument but there are too many off the field I don't know how they're going to approach the season I don't know if they're doing an overhaul because Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace know that they're fighting for their jobs does Ryan Pace know that because he drafted Justin Fields and Justin Fields might not play this year or maybe only plays a few games he's going to get another year I don't know any of that. So I'm not sure if like you said if any of our discussion today is really going to focus on the Bears. So go into the Vikings.
2: Wait, one one more note about the Bears before we move on. You can I can I give you some of the Bears schedule? At Rams, Bengals at home, at Browns, Detroit, at Raiders, Green Bay, at Tampa, 49ers at home, at Steelers. That's their pre-buy schedule.
0: So their buy is like week Nine-ish?
2: It's, it's November 14th. So yeah, week so yeah, nine, week ten, somewhere there. That's tough. And then after the bye, they got to go to Green Bay. They got to go to Seattle. They got to go to Minnesota. And they got to play Baltimore at home.
0: That's a tough one. Tough schedule. So even if you're making the on-field argument for the Bears, there's no... didn't Like, what's their number at? The number is seven and a half. Seven and I a think. half.
2: So it's a decent number. I mean, you, you could go over and they, they could still be under 500. But... Man, it's just a lot of tough games. You don't know when Fields is going to come in. You, I feel like you are flirting with disaster trying to take a position on the Bears.
0: I don't think the Bears got worse over the offseason necessarily. So if they go 8-9, and nine, that would technically be better because they were 8-8 eight and eight last year and made the playoffs. I just don't know if I have anything else to add than what we've already talked about. I don't know what's going to happen on the field, off the field. I can't make the on-the-field argument for the Bears because that was not an 8-8 and team last year. That w- that looked more like a 6-10 and team that happened to sneak into the playoffs, happened to get some decent quarterback play out of Trubisky down the stretch against some terrible teams. We saw what happened when they played real teams. So that's really all I have on the Bears unless you have anything else to note.
2: You know, I would, I would almost want to take the no, will not make the playoffs at minus 135, but there's two big caveats there. Number one, I think they're likely to be better this year than they were last year, and they made the playoffs last year. Uh, I think the schedule's probably harder this year, but if they're better this year, uh, you kind of wonder how that all comes out in the wash. And then number two, we both think Rodgers is staying in Green Bay, as we have said. But if we're wrong about that, everybody can be wrong about everything, and if we're wrong about that, all of a sudden, Chicago is in real position to win this division because somebody's got to win it. And there's no guarantee that Minnesota is going to, you know, just be awesome again. So I think you got to stay away from that one too. I mean, the number at minus 135, it's not like you're laying a ton of juice there uh, to, for the no. And you know the NFC is loaded, but somebody's got to win the division. And if Rodgers is gone, I think Chicago is probably as good as bet as anybody to to win this.
0: And with Rodgers, even though I think he's coming back, it's one of those things where if he doesn't come back, you're just wrong. Like, as you've said so many different times, like, what is the smart betting play here for this game? If I'm wrong, sucks, but oh well. At least I I grabbed the right value, I made the right handicap, made the right assessment. If Aaron Rodgers doesn't come back, that's fine. As a Packers fan, it would suck, but, like, in terms of betting, I, I just don't see how you can take that position in which you're not doing at all and making an actual bet. If that wants to be like one of your factors, kind of like when we talk about the Super Bowl betting, how much does history play into that? And you kept saying over and over and over again, that's just one piece, but it cannot be the entire equation. If you want to just guess, like if you have five different arguments for why the Bears could go 8-9 and nine or 9-8, nine and eight, that's fine. And if if the if Rodgers now coming back is one piece of that, so like 10% of that, that's fine if he does or does not come back, whatever. Let's talk about the Vikings, though. So like you said, plus 105 to make the playoffs. Uh, the offensive line isn't there yet. Repeated investments. I mean, maybe they're heading in the right direction with that. I don't think that we've seen enough to say that they are or are not even. Uh, consistent, clutch quarterback play isn't there yet. We know what Kirk Cousins has done against bad teams. We know what he's done at home specifically against bad teams in the first three quarters. They don't have enough pressure from the edge. Like, those are real issues. I'm not discounting those issues, but I don't think it's big enough to tank this team to, like, an eight-win season, no matter what happens with Rodgers. The one note, the betting note that I have on this, I don't see why you would possibly, not you specifically, why somebody would take the Vikings over. Again, the win total is nine on that, and that's minus 125 under nine is plus 105. How could you possibly take the over on this of 9 instead of taking plus 105 to make the playoffs? If you win 10 games, there's a damn good chance you're in the postseason. Most years, that's going to be enough. And even though we don't know like the full playoff picture for a 17-game season, I'm still more than happy to guess that a 10-win season is enough to make the playoff in exchange for going, what, 30 on the odds from minus 125 to plus 105. So it's the same thing. No playoffs at minus 125, under 9 wins at plus 105. Unless you see like 9 and 8 as insurance of some sort as a push, which is fine. But like it turns out you don't win any money on a push. Like if they go 8 and 9, that's not going to be enough for the wild card this year. So purely from a betting standpoint, I don't know if I'm going to take any of these numbers for the Vikings. But purely from a betting standpoint, I don't know how you can justify taking over 9 instead of taking yes at plus 105. Are you seeing the same thing that I am there? Well, I think
2: the read of the numbers for me is that Vegas thinks Minnesota is going to be a decent team, but the depth of the NFC and, and maybe even the depth of the NFC North is going to keep the Vikings out of the playoffs. That's how I read that. Like, hey, yeah, you might be good at 9-8 and eight or 10-7, or and seven, uh, but when the NFC West might have three playoff teams and the Packers, you know, are holding on to Rodgers for now, at least, you know, on paper and Chicago, we don't know what they're going to be. And there, you know, there's other good, the NFC South could, you know, threaten to have two teams in there. Like all of that. Yeah. You might be good, but that's not necessarily going to be enough to push you into the, into the should be in the playoffs conversation. So that's how I read those numbers.
0: I think that's more of, like preseason speak, because we can sit here and talk about the depth of the NFC. And even though I think that's how it will pan out, I have no idea if that's actually how it will pan out. And NFC NFL predictions don't usually pan out. We can generally say the tiers of where the teams sit and who might or might not make the playoffs. But I mean, going over history, and I didn't have time to go back like 30 years, but even going back over the last five, six, seven years more often than not, 10-win teams make the playoffs. I mean, the Bears last year made it at 8-8 and with the expanded playoffs, and obviously the expanded playoffs seem like they're here to stay long-term. So generally speaking, this is where I'm leaning toward history, knowing that usually predictions are off, and usually if you're a 10-win team, you're going to make the playoffs. So I don't... It's not that I don't care what I think about the NFC, because I do agree. I think there's a lot of high-end depth that we don't normally see. When we've talked When we talked about the... Uh, even the East and the NFC South, we have a lot of teams that we think are going to be stacked like in that 7, 8, 9, 10, 11-ish range. They're not going to have like that many bad teams that we think. But again, going back to my comment on the Eagles in the last episode, there have to be some bad teams. It's not just going to be the Houston Texans this year that suck. Like who's going to be those teams that go 4-13? and 13? I'm not going to bet that the Bears are going to do that. Maybe this will get to a our, our little bit of chat on the Lions here, but... I'm more just banking on what history has shown us, and if you're a 10-win team, you're probably going to make the playoffs. Where it seems like your position is more, the book is trying to position itself in a spot where they don't get burned either way.
2: Maybe, yeah. That yeah. It, it feels like this is a uh, they're they're trying to acknowledge two realities, and I think there is a world where where both are correct.
0: Let's talk about the Lions, huh? Huh. <laughs> I think they have the second lowest win total. They're at five. I believe the Texans are at four. And I don't think anybody else is below that. Jay six and a half. The Eagles are at six and a half. Then a lot of sevens, uh, I, I Jets wanna,
2: at six. I want to make the case that Detroit to miss the playoffs at minus 700 is actually a steal. It's a big number. It's a huge number. But they're not making the playoffs. I mean, they're just not. So, I mean, for
0: example, what, what is a, a dollar amount that you would put on that? And would you want that tied up for four or five months? Like, is that worth the value to you? You could here's, get a bigger return betting that throughout the year.
2: Here's 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 the the scenario where I bet that. If I can go to a sports book and buy a ticket, That is a very different scenario than I've got my $14,000 balance or whatever it is. And I I take out two grand and it sits there for four months or whatever. And I'm just waiting for that ticket to cash because you know, it's coming back. It's just a matter of, I got to sit here and wait. So that's, I think the difference. If, If I can go and buy a ticket, Hey, I've got I've got my five grand here. I'm putting it on Detroit to miss the playoffs, and I'm just going to come back and cash this ticket in four months. You know that that's that's a solid investment, I think. But I don't necessarily want to hold up my bankroll on that if I'm managing an account with a book somewhere.
0: So is that the investment? And we're going to do like a football betting for dummies later in the year. Is that an investment for somebody that's going to Vegas like in August? Maybe they are or are not a big sports better, and they pull out 2 grand from the ATM and put it on that number and then they come they're coming back in January or whatever so they're not reducing their bankroll like is that the bet for that person
2: yeah think about it this way if you if you want to invest in the stock market there is no stock that you can guarantee is going to give you a 14% ROI in 4 months but if you're heading to Vegas Take five grand with you, put it on Detroit to miss the playoffs. Come back for it in January.
0: Cause you're leaving Vegas without that five grand, no matter what. But you're coming back
2: a little later on, and you know you're gonna you're gonna pocket the uh, you're, you're gonna pocket the cost of the plane ticket. Probably. I mean that, that's that's the thing. Like if you're in Nebraska and you got to fly back to Vegas to collect your money. I mean that's that's tough because you're probably using your winnings. I mean, hey, maybe maybe you've got uh, maybe you've got forty grand lying around that you want to put on this. Uh, that would be a different story. But my five grand example, you know, you're making about eight hundred bucks. You know, some back of the envelope math there, off the top of my head. Uh, that's probably not worth the cost of travel unless, of course, you live nearby, you're there on business a lot, something like that. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't want it necessarily sitting around in my account. That's money I, I would rather use somewhere else, perhaps. And uh,
0: No is minus 700. Yes is plus 500. If you can make an argument for the Lions at plus 500 to make the playoffs, God bless you, because there there is no argument, so I would be impressed.
2: Jared Goff's not carrying this team, guys. That's not what Jared Goff does. Like, this Jared team Goff, did
0: not get better in the offseason.
2: Jared Goff can be successful when he is put in position to be successful. He's not going to be put in position to be successful in Detroit. That's just not happening. So, sorry. So
0: that number for the regular season wins, split evenly over 5-110, under 5 one ten. Five is low, but as we said with the Texans, where are 6 wins? Like, where is 6 wins on this schedule? That's what I don't understand. I mean, you, you get... This is to open. They're opening the season with the Niners, Packers, and Ravens. The Lions might just wave the white flag on this season after week three because they have no interest in going on. Then you go to Chicago, you go to Minnesota, you get the Bengals at home, go to the Rams. I mean, I don't know how the Lions get to six wins, but I don't know if it's just early on a Tuesday morning here. I have a weird feeling about Dan Campbell in year one. I don't think it was the right hire. It seems like they had a guy in Matt Patricia who just sucked as a head coach and they found his polar opposites, which can't work. Like we see college football teams do that all the time where they have a guy that just totally sucks, is either too high energy or too low energy, and they go and get the exact opposite guy, which can't work. But I think they went too far with that. Long term, I don't love it. Short term, I have a very weird feeling that he finds something. Maybe the players just take to him. Do you know what this situation reminds me of in college football? I'll be impressed if you pull this out right here. Who does, hiring Dan Campbell, what does this situation remind you of in college football?
2: Uh, Are you going to say Tom Herman, your best friend?
0: (laughs) I'm going to say Sam Pittman. Ooh. You have a veteran coach who is known as kind of like this high-energy, quirky, fun, players-like-him kind of guy who's like semi-pursued head coaching jobs before, but has generally been satisfied with being a positional coach, an offensive line coach with big-time programs. You have Dan Campbell, who's been a tight ends coach forever, has kind of pursued head coaching jobs, has never got something where it just seems like there's a message that might resonate. And that's, that worries me. I'm not like looking at Arkansas football and saying, this is why I'm not taking the Lions under. But I have a weird gut feeling that something will click with the Lions in year 1 and they'll go like 6 and 11 and smash the Cardinals late in the season, maybe beat like the Seahawks in Seattle week 17. Am I totally off the rails with this?
2: I don't think you are at all. So we're talking about to get to five, right? So, like, let's, to justify taking let's the over. Let's find the
0: five. Where are the five wins for them on their to, schedule?
2: Right. To justify taking the over, let's, let's first feel good about the push, right? So they got to win. Let's say they go two and four in divisional play. And, you know, we don't know what's going on with Chicago. Minnesota's been up and down. They're got a lot of money into an average quarterback. Like, taking one game off of each of those, getting swept by the Packers. Not all that crazy. Like, that feels like it could maybe happen. So, we're going to give them two divisional wins. They're non-divisional games. We've got San Francisco, L. Ravens, L. Cincinnati at home. Doable.
0: That's a 50-50 for me. That's doable. Philadelphia
2: at home. That might be a win. I kind of like that one. So, we're going after the bye. I'm not I, I'm not saying they're going to win. I'm saying don't totally write off the idea of them winning in Pittsburgh. No. Not I not. don't think it's that crazy. I think Pittsburgh's going to be overrated, and that's there after the bye week. So, they've got two weeks to prep for it. I don't think it's crazy. I'm not giving them the win. I'm saying it's not crazy.
0: No, they're not going to Pittsburgh and winning.
2: Arizona late in the season you referenced. Arizona could be trade deadline sellers. They could go, dude, we're at fourth place in this division. We're not making the playoffs. Let's prepare for next year. We can make a real run next year. So that could be a win at Atlanta on December 26th. That's on the table. You get five wins and they win one game they're not supposed to. I think the over is not totally, totally crazy. I'm not saying I'm going to take it. I'm saying there is a path.
0: I think that you're reaching for the path. And I think that like when you got to five wins, and then you said, and then maybe win a game they're not supposed to, they're not supposed to win almost all of these games. Like, What is the game they're supposed to win? Eagles at home? Like, that's, that's the game? Do we both agree that the Eagles are either the worst team in the NFC or the second worst team in the NFC behind the Lions? Probably. That's certainly what the odds say. Maybe the Falcons are in that ballpark, but there aren't any, there's maybe one game or two, if you're just super low on the Falcons or the Lions should win this game. I mean, you harp so much on where are the 50, 50 games? What is the range for the Lions? The range for the Lions is going one in 16, or we're talking about, can they get to six and 11? I don't, see that. That's why I said like, this is just a purely stupid gut feeling with Dan Campbell. I don't, I'm probably not going to touch this number.
2: Oh, Everything... I'm, I'm definitely not touching this number. This is an intellectual exercise for me. I think there is a path. It's not totally, totally crazy. That's all I'm saying.
0: There's no football path, quite frankly. There's no football argument that the Lions will go 6-11 and this year.
2: Uh, I, yeah, I don't know that I fully agree with that. You lose
0: Matthew Stafford. You lose Kenny Galladay. The defense sucks. You have holes everywhere. Kuda looked terrible last year. I don't care that all corners look bad in their first year. He looked awful. The Secondary sucks. Everything except a decent offensive line is very bad on this team. There is no football argument. In a division where Rodgers are not, you're probably going to have three teams that could win eight games. I think even asking for two and four in the division is aggressive, and those are wins that you did not put in. That they should not be winning these games.
2: Carolina won five games last year and it basically wasn't even playing football.
0: God, I love the Panthers. I'm just saying.
2: It's not totally I'm crazy.
0: Way too emotionally invested in the Panthers. Last question before, unless you have anything else on these Now teams. let's
2: let's let's move on.
0: I asked you this question for the NFC South. Where does the NFC North sit three years from now? The power structure of this division. 3 years from this date entering the 2024 season, how would you rank them right now based on what you think is coming 3 years down the road?
2: Chicago 1,
0: who cares 2 through 4. Is that 99% Justin Fields? Is no, Matt Nagy I, I think, still there?
2: I think they have good defensive players. Um I'm not sold that the current coaching staff is going to be in place, but I think Justin Fields is a gamer. I think Chicago has a, I, I think they have a real quarterback prospect for the first time in a long time. Um, cause I was, I don't think I was ever in on Mr. Trubisky. Uh, I, it feels like they are the team in three to five years that you want to be holding stock on. And Green Bay, I mean, look, it's been an awesome run with Green Bay and they go from Favre to Rogers like they did. I mean, that's just uncommon. But it does feel like Jordan Love is probably not going to be the answer. I mean, if, if Rodgers was making all these threats and talking about leaving, regardless of whether or not you thought it was fixable, if Jordan Love was the solution and he could play, wouldn't they just, wouldn't they sell him for parts and say, you know what? Enough of this. It's not worth it. Let's move on. But they haven't done that. And it's probably because Jordan Love's not very good.
0: When I've gone through all of those scenarios in my head, and I also, I think the devil's, I don't know which side I'm even on on this. The devil's advocate argument for that is that this is like the first, this isn't even a real off season. This is the first semi-real offseason that Jordan Love has had. Like he had nothing last year. So I don't think, even if they thought Jordan Love was good, which they probably don't even know. Like this guy hasn't taken a preseason snap. He didn't really take like that many training camp snaps. He's finally in OTAs and mini camps and all that. So maybe they just don't even know. I don't even want to talk about that situation. I just have more faith in a Packers front office that seems to know what it's doing. And I think that the Vikings front office kind of knows what it's doing. They have some uh, salary cap issues that are coming up here. And not to mention their shit offensive line play. But it seems like they've put money in the right spots generally. There's no... I, I like Justin Fields. I think it was a good pick and all that. But there's no confidence... That Ryan Pace is going to be there long term and I don't know who the next guy is going to be. I don't think Matt Nagy is going to be there long term. There's too much uncertainty for me to put the Bears at one. That's what I, I don't agree with at all.
2: I think I totally am with you on the respect for the Green Bay front office, but I think when you look at the quarterbacks in this division, there's one team that could and I, I'll meet you halfway Justin Fields is not you know, it's not a sure bet but I feel like they are the closest to having a long-term solution at quarterback right now. And so for me, I would take Chicago at one. I don't think any other team in this division, you know, you you even have a guess at what the situation is going to be five years from now. And that's the difference for me.
0: Even three years from now. I mean, who are going to yeah. be the... Three non-Bears starting quarterbacks in the NFC North. Like you would think it would be Jordan Love, Kellen Mond, and God knows who for the Lions, but we have no. Maybe that's the exercise projecting the starting quarterbacks across the NFL three years from now. We're back on Monday for the NFC West. Uh, really, the only division that we've talked about extensively a few different times since the Super Bowl. That'll be available in your podcast app right away on Monday morning. So hit subscribe on whatever app you're using to have that auto downloaded right away on Monday. Thanks again to Alex Lang for the Euro 2020 talk, and we will see everyone back here on Monday.